Good morning. Welcome to Thrive Church. Whether you're here in Greenville or you're watching us online, we are excited that you're here with us. We are honored to be worshiping with you. Our motto at Thrive is don't just survive, thrive. And we do it by three ways. Number one, grow. Number two, develop. Number three, succeed. We're growing a kingdom. We're developing our character. And the way we succeed is by doing, not just thinking about, but doing the call that God has on our lives, both here locally in this church and in our community. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to do my fifth message on living free. We've actually had six messages because Misty did a wonderful job tapping right into it. So we're doing my sixth message, and the first message is really the foundation of where it all came from. And what we talked about is we talked about the two trees in the garden. And there was two trees in the garden, and it wasn't the tree of, of evil and death and all this stuff. It was in the tree of life. I mean, it was, but it was the tree of life. But the other one was the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, but it was knowledge. So in other words, what happens is, is knowledge messes us up, and eating from the wrong tree will cause us to make the wrong decisions. And what we do is we fail to realize that when, we're, when our Christianity is not working, it's not working because we're partaking from the wrong tree. We're partaking of the tree of human reasoning and trying to reason things out because it sounds good. Well, you know, I mean, you know, that, that sounds right, you know, so let's just go this way. That will lead you to death. Because your human reasoning is not above God's wisdom. Our human reasoning, and I've said this before, would tell us to pick up the machine gun to, to knock down the Philistines. When God told him to get a jawbone of a donkey and kill a thousand of them, human reasoning would have killed him. He would have ran out of bullets. He would have had 999 bullets and killed 999 of them, and that one of them would have killed him. But man, that jawbone, whoo, those teeth stayed into play. He, was, he became a ninja. That's what they should call him. He's the ninja and Delilah. Amen. But what happens is religion partakes of the tree of knowledge. And what that means is by they try to be right with God by rules and regulations. And what happens is we all start out right. We all start out with our hearts pure and saying, God, I want to come to you and I'm coming just as I am. Then we have these religious jokers that come along and tell us, you got to dot the I and cross the T. They bring us back into a pharmaceutical type religion. And we don't think we're there because we think that we've uh, arrived and we've gone you know, further than before. But the thing of it is, is we are still there because it still has crept into every church. It's even here. Don't think it's not here. It's just as we identify it, we try to deal with it. See, I'm not trying to say that we're better than anybody else. We're all on the same playing field, but we just need to recognize that those Old Testament rules and regulations didn't work then, and they're not going to work now. The only thing that works is understanding the grace of God. And the only way to live free is to partake of the tree of life. If we're not partaking of the tree of life, we're never going to live free. And the way you partake of the tree of life is you have to realize you're not just some servant. You're not some slave. You're a son and daughter of God. Joint heirs of God, the word says, 
co are equal heirs with Jesus. When you have that revelation of who you are on the inside, it causes things to change from the inside out. You start falling in love more with God on the inside, and it changes your, the things that you do on the outside. You can't change on the outside. You could put a pig and wash him up and put some clothes on him, but he's going to end up dirty again because his heart is to go back to the mud hole. Now when you fall in love with Jesus, your heart is not to go back into the mud hole. Your heart is to love him and your heart is to give everything to him and it would cause you great pain to do anything to hurt him. Oh, come on, this is good stuff right here. <coughs> Excuse me, and this is just the introduction. So today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about living in the Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about. And the reason why we need to talk about living in the Spirit, because the Spirit, living in the Spirit is the only way you can do this. There's no other way. Because when a car cuts me off and I'm like, oh, I'm not living in the spirit. I'm living in my flesh. I'm like, oh, I'm thinking I hope a Mack truck runs you down. You know, come on, let's just be real. But when I'm living in the spirit, I'm thinking, God, I pray for them. I hope they're not on the, under the influence of anything or I hope there's... No, no problems going on in their life to where they're stressed out and they're trying to run home. Because I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know why they're... I just judge them. I have to quit judging people. I have to quit judging things. And I need to start praying and giving God the opportunity to touch my heart so I can start forgiving people. So we have these voices. We have all kinds of voices that just... Coming in. And these voices cause confusion, and, and we think we're justified in some of our actions, and we're not justified in anything that we do in the flesh. There's no justification for it at all. So, the flesh versus the spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I want you to know that it is for freedom, like it says. Freedom cost someone something. Freedom, all, always freedom comes at a price. We're about ready to celebrate the 4th of July, Independence Day. Many lives, many, much blood was shed for that day to be free. Well, freedom cost God's only begotten son, Jesus, at the time is life. It came into price. He was beat beyond recognition. He was just, I mean, you, the passion of the Christ has nothing on, if you read the story, what, the, what really happened to Jesus. We cannot really comprehend it in our natural minds. So he said, stand firm and don't go back to that bondage, that slavery again, right? He goes on to say, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of, none, uh, of no value to you at all. He wasn't just talking about going and getting circumcised. He was talking about it, what you're doing. If you're, if you're taking on the law, what you're saying is, then, and you're trying to be right with God with the law, then, you, then Christ is nothing. Yeah. 
Because Christ came to make you right with God. So why are you taking on circumcision? Why are you doing this? I mean, if you want to get circumcised for whatever reason besides trying to be right with God, hey, look, that's up to you. But he's saying, if you're trying to do this because of the law, then what you're doing is you're moving back into slavery. You're moving back into bondage. He said again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. And he said, look, if you're thinking that this is going to make you right with God, you've got to do all of the law. And I want you to know there are over 600 oracles of the law. So you can't do one and violate the 599. You have to do them all. And if you couldn't do them all back then, you really think you're going to do them all right now? Exactly. He said, how stupid can you be and still breathe? I mean, come on, get real. Look at, look at this. So the church of Galatia, they were just focusing on this one law. And Paul was saying, you were taught right before. You were taught grace before I left here. And you're allowing these guys, these religious people to come in and trick you, to deceive you. And you're allowing this to happen. I'm going to tell you, we've allowed it to happen in church. Don't think for a moment I haven't been religious. The first day I ever wore a collarless t-shirt in church in my entire life was Easter Sunday. This is the third time. Are you keeping count? Yeah, because I was remembering how religious I was, thinking I had to have a suit and tie and all this other stuff to please God. And that's not true. If I want to wear a suit and tie, I want to wear a suit and tie, and it's okay. Why? Because I like it. But the reason why, actually, to be honest with you, I didn't start wearing jeans until I talked to Stacy. Do you remember that Sunday? It was the very first Sunday I came here, and you were playing the violin. And I said to you, I said, must be nice to wear jeans on the stage. And your response to me was, we'd like it if you did too. She didn't have to convince me twice because she was on the church board. So if I had the church board on my side, and so I ended up wearing some jeans. And I was scared, trust me. Trust me, I was. I mean, because you get beat down with that religious, ah, oh, you got to do this and you got to do that. What happened to come as you are? Just come dressed. <laughs> when I say come as you are, I don't mean jump out of the bed, take off all your clothes, say, hey, here I am. You know, I mean, this is not a garden party. You know? <clears throat> that was then, this is now. But so, so come dressed. And when I say dressed, I'm not going to wear an extra small shirt with some Speedos and flip-flops. Why? Because I even think it looks gross. Chris, what did you say? You wanted me to? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But see, so the point is, we're not under the law of sin and death. We're under grace. He says, 
You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value at all. So he was saying that obeying the law has no eternal value. The only thing that has eternal value is receiving Christ Jesus and accepting the grace that he has for your life. Because here it goes. He says this. He says, the only thing that counts. Everybody say that. This is the only thing that counts right here. He says is faith expressing itself through love. So he says, you know what? Faith doesn't matter unless it's expressed through love. If your faith is not expressed through love, your faith is worthless. And so what we need to do is we need to tap into the love of God. And when we tap into the love of God, then we allow that faith to produce the works of the Spirit through our lives. He said this. He said, you were running a good race. In other words, you were doing everything okay. You were doing it right. He said, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. He said that kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. In other words, he said God didn't call you to get back into rules and regulations and all this other legalistic mumbo-jumbo. He said a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Another way to say that, it's the little foxes that destroy the vine. You know the little things in your life? You go, oh, well, that's not that big. That's not that. It is. Let me tell you, if the brownie tasted good, the little poop in it would destroy it. it would, I would have such a mental picture of my brownie, it would destroy the whole thing. I would have a horrible experience. As a matter of fact, if somebody, if they showed it to me and I was like, they told me, I'd be, I mean, you know, because it's the little things. That destroy. Galatians 5, 13 through 21. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another hum- humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, don't cuss out that guy that cuts you off in the road. You know, you all know you've been doing it. Listen, I probably have done it a few times, just not recently. It's been a while, but, but I'm not going to tell you that, you know, I mean, let's just be real on this, right? It says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be, or you will be destroyed by each other. In other words... God's not going to have to take you out, and the devil's not going to have to take you out. We take each other out. I'm not scared of the devil. He's got no authority and no power. Jesus defeated him 2,000 years ago. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He took all the oracles of the law and nailed them to the cross. He didn't know your sin there. He nailed the oracles of the law. 
Why? Because it's the law that was held against you. He took the oracles of the law down to the grave. He rose on the third day. The oracles of the law stayed under the ground in death and hell. So that way the accuser can have nothing to accuse you of is because there's no law to accuse you. If you understand that, oh my gosh, that destroys religion right there. Amen? So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. That's that war. That's that battlefield of the mind. That's that just going back and forth, you know? So they're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. So if you're led by the Spirit, you're not a slave to the law. You're not a slave to all these rules and regulations. It doesn't give you permission to sin. It, it doesn't. It, it gives you the grace, the power, the ability of God to live above sin. If you don't have the power to live above sin, then sin is always going to be your master. But grace that Jesus came to give makes sin not your master anymore, makes law not your master anymore because you're convicted by the heart. Paul gives a basic list here, and it's not exhaustive. It's a basic list of carnal or fleshly acts. He says this, and this is when you partake of the wrong tree. He said the acts of the flesh are obvious. The first three here are sexual. He said sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And then the next are more spiritual, idolatry and witchcraft. Now, most people probably know what sexual immorality and being impure is, impure thoughts, impure things, you know, that they can understand that. But debauchery? What's debauchery? Debauchery is promiscuous, wild, sexual living. That kind of covers everything that is not godly. In other words, God didn't create you to be a porn star. Pastor, did you just say that in church? Yes. Because you need to hear it somewhere. You're not going to hear it out there, so you need to hear it somewhere. In the right way. See, God created these things to be godly. And I don't mean that you kind of get... And you pray for 30 minutes before you have intimacy with your wife. Oh, he, somebody, ah, ooh, hala. You know, I'm not saying that. What, I, what I'm saying is this, is you already have communion with God constantly. So you need to have communion with your spouse. And you need to, you need to be telling your spouse how much you love them and appreciate them and, and, and romancing them. And that's really what I'm talking about, that's, that's holy. See, God romances you. He tells you how much he loves you and how much he appreciates you. and how much, When you're the worst of the worst. So it has nothing to do with our performance that we do. And so, and so the same token, it has nothing to do with the performance of our spouse. It has to do with 
We love them unconditionally with no strings attached. That's what I'm talking about. Then the next thing, he said idolatry. And all that means is this. It's anything that, that your whole life revolves around. If your whole life revolves around work, you're a workaholic. Your idol is work. If your whole life revolves around the walking dead, then the walking dead is your idol. If your whole life revolves around God, Jesus, him crucified, the resurrection, then your idol is God. And you get to choose that. Now, witchcraft, this is not talking about the person riding on the broom with a little hat or your mother-in-law. Or somebody else's mother-in-law. This is talking about manipulation, control. If you're trying to control a situation or manipulate a situation to control it, you're practicing witchcraft. Look at your neighbor. Say, I practice witchcraft. Because it's true. And I want you to understand this. Don't think for a moment you're not, you don't try to manipulate situations or try to, try to take control of situations. But I'm, I'm bringing this out for a reason. And you'll, you'll catch this here in a second. Then it goes on to say, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He said, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me tell you, because I know you've been taught this. But there's a reason why I hit witchcraft. And if you take a look, you could probably find something else that you might be involved in in that list. And this is not an exhaustive list. It's a basic list. Most people have been taught that if you do any of these things, you're going to hell. He didn't say that. He didn't say you're going to the lake of fire that burns forever. That is not what he said. As a matter of fact, when you study the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't necessarily mean anything about heaven, literal heaven, or literal hell. It means you cannot live God's best life on this planet when you're doing these things. Because if it was true that if you do any of these things, you're going to hell, y'all going to hell. And I'm going with you. I'm leading the way. Because doesn't the Bible also say that if you say you have no sin, you're a liar? And doesn't the Bible say that all liars have their place at your house? I mean, at the lake of fire that burns with... Just kidding. Isn't that what the Bible says? Revelation 21, 8, isn't it? So then maybe that's not what he's talking about. Maybe he's not talking about heaven and hell here. He's talking about if you're doing any of these things, you're never able to re really receive and live the life that God wants you to live on this planet. The Apostle Paul wrote about himself in Romans. He said this, I want to do what is good. 
But I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. In other words, he said, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it anyway. Didn't he violate what we just read in Galatians? You think the boss Paul went to hell? No, he was struggling with real life issues. And he was conquering real life, life issues by going from glory to glory in Christ Jesus. The closer he was getting to Christ, Christ Jesus, the more these things were falling off by the wayside and he wasn't doing them anymore because they became poop in the brownies. Hmm. So Paul was transparent. There are things that the flesh produces and things that the spirit produces. And we're going to take a look at a few of these things. It should be in your notes. The first one is, is bondage and freedom. The reason Jesus came, he said, is so we could have freedom. And, and what happens is, is if you are in religion, it produces slavery, bondage, you're not free. The second thing it produces, doubt and faith. If you have doubt in any area of your life, in any area whatsoever, it's, it's not of God, it's not of faith, and anything that's not of faith is sin. And so that's works of the flesh. When I left California with my wife and three children to go to Bible college, I was making six-digit figures with the railroad. We were doing really, 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 really well in the natural. And when I knew that God was telling me to go, I had no doubt. Now, I had doubt that came across, but I had to, I had to know that God told me to go. When I got to the point where I knew... I had peace. We took off. We didn't have any money in the bank. We didn't have anything, really. We had a couple dogs and some kids. And uh, I drove a Penske truck. Brittany was my navigator. She was on the, the Atlas kind of telling me, you okay, we got to do this because this is where we're going to stop. We're going to stop in New Mexico today, Dad, and uh, in Tucumcari. And we're going to do that. I mean, she, she, you know, and so, and you got to figure, Brittany was young. She was about 10. And we had Josh and Alexa there. You know, they were, they were in the minivan with, with Lee, and I was towing our 1992 Honda Accord, right? Now, when I got into the, the Penske, I'm not going to tell you that all of a sudden those thoughts of doubt didn't try to overtake me because I started bawling. Oh, God, you got to take care of me now. <laughs> that was flesh. But I got back into the spirit. And when I got back into the spirit, I mean, if you take a look at what happened in our lives and where we were then and where we are today, I mean, you, you just can't believe it. God will take care of you no matter what's going on. We were making, even in Bible college, we were making $155 or less a month that was going out. We had no money from people saying, you know, Jeho Jehovah El Postal. It wasn't there. You want me to tell you actually all we did? Tithed and offered. When we tithed and we offered and we weren't making enough, God always made it more than enough. Always. We've never struggled with finances in the 24 years that I've been in ministry. But we struggled when I was making a lot of money in the railroad and I was doing all these great. We struggled. We don't struggle and we don't even make nearly as much. And we have a lot more. 
Why? Because God is more than enough. The next thing the flesh and, and the spirit will produce is religion and relationship. Religion says it's more important what I know. Relationship says it's more important who I know. See, it doesn't matter if you memorize every verse in the Bible. Even the demons know what the Bible says. You can memorize all this stuff, and you can think whatever you want, but, but you know what? If you do not have a relationship, if you only know John 3.16, and you have a relationship, even if you don't know John 3.16, but you were told it and you believed it, if you don't know anything, but you know him, you made it. The next thing it produces is legalism versus grace. Legalism will hold you to the letter of the law. Well, if you're not baptized this way and if you don't do this and if you don't do that, you're going to hell. Grace says you have the power to love unconditionally with no strings attached. Grace says that God loves you so much, he doesn't care about dotting the I and crossing the T. He cares about your heart and where you are with him from the inside out. Amen? It is a heart issue. <coughs> All of us get pulled by some, some point, some time, into the flesh. And what I want to do is I want to give you three practical ways to live by the Spirit. If you haven't noticed yet, we've been doing a study in the book of Galatians, so what I've been doing is keeping it all line upon line, and it's contextual. So if, if you haven't noticed, that, I mean, everything's been Galatians, 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 and then I back, I'll back it up maybe with another scripture. But this is what the whole book is about. Galatians in, in uh, 5, 22 through 26, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if you live by the Spirit, He will govern your peace, your joy, your love, your self-control, your forbearance. He governs this. If you live by the Spirit, when the guy who cuts you off and you want to flip them the bird... You give him the Holy Ghost. Because that's the only bird you should be thinking of. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Pastor, where'd you get that from? We were at Carowinds when I was a youth pastor years ago. And these guys cut us off in the parking lot. It was Christian Day at Carowinds. You know? I said, all right, let's give him the bird. No, the whole youth group did this. Right? So I had to go in front of the church. Well, they didn't know about that, but I had to go in front of the church and tell them about what the youth group did and how much fun we had at Carolyn's and how God just came and touched everybody's life because it was Christian day. And so I told them about this thing, and I said, so I told them all to give them the bird. You should have saw the people's faces. I said, get your minds out of the gutter. The Holy Ghost. Amen? All right. It says, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So number one, 
It, re it requires me to see. You have to see. If you want to live by the Spirit, you have to see. See, all of us have dark situations in our life, but we have to see the light in the situation. We have to see the hope in the situation. We have to see Jesus in the situation. You might have a darkness in your health. You might have darkness in your marriage. You might have darkness, but you need to see the light in each situation. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Light dispels darkness. And what you have to do is you have to let the light shine. You have to speak the word of God over your situation. Even if it doesn't look like it's good, you speak the good. Because when you're speaking the good, you're speaking the God. Because what you're doing is you're calling those things that are not as though they are, and you're imitating God as dear children, and that's what we need to do. You might be saying, well, what if it doesn't work? I love what Philip Baker said last time he was here. He goes, well, what if it does? If it's not working, it's either not God's word, or you just don't believe it. Because God always holds true to his word. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he's not a liar. And most of us know last January, my mom, she had some issues. And she had cancer in T12, her, her spine crushed. So I flew out there to, to take care of her and help her out. And what, and, and what happened was is she, we started talking about God, and she was really talking about God. You know, she, she wasn't raised in church or anything like that, but you know, she'd been to church and, and things, but she was more political. She was really in the political side of things. And, but she really started focusing on God. And we started talking about God and things, and, and then we started uh, talking about her getting baptized, going to church. Well, we go to her first post-surgery uh, for, the, for the spine. We go to, to, to that appointment. And the guy was surprised. He took more uh, x-rays, and, and he had to take them again, you know. And, and, well, let me check this out. Let me My mom's like, well, you know, when can I come out of this brace? And it was supposed to be like three months. He said, you, you can come out of it right now. You're healed. Why? Because she saw something. She saw something in God. She saw something in the Word. I was able to show her the Word. I wasn't preaching at her or anything like that. She came to me. I didn't go to her. I'm telling you, she's doing great right now. She's, she's doing devotionals. She's, she's involved in her church. I mean, this is my mom. After eight years of me being born again, being an idiot in the world, being punk rocker and all this other stuff that I was, and after eight years and I graduated my second Bible college, she said she finally believed that something might have happened in my life. But you know what? She didn't. Even though she said she did, she saw something, but it wasn't enough. So, so many years later... She sees that it's still working and it's still there and things that are going on in my life and supernaturally God ministers to her. Amen. Changes her whole life. So don't ever count anybody out. God will use your life. You have to see. And when you see, you will find. We need to be able to see, number two, it inquires or requires me to listen. God's book, his word, is not a rule book to follow. It's full of spirit and life. It's not a bunch of rules. 
It requires me to listen, to pay attention, to hear what he has to say, not just through his written word, but his spoken word. But his spoken word will never contradict his written word. It'll always come into line. The Holy Spirit is always speaking to us if you don't know that. You know why you, know why you can't hear him? You don't listen. We're too busy talking. Our minds are too busy trying to figure things out. <laughs> Isaiah 30, 21 says this. He says, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. See, that's the Spirit of God. He's always telling you where to go, how to get there. Here's your, your guide, your teacher, your leader. Uh, I mean, he, he lights that path before you. We, he's your counselor. I mean, this is God. You, you want to raise children? Look at the Bible. Don't look at how people struck, were struck down by God in the Old Testament because of sin and death. Look in the New Testament when you, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at Jesus with kids. He was a kid magnet. <coughs> Number three, and this is the last one. We're going to close at this point. It requires me to follow. Hmm. So that means... I've got to do something. I can't just sit around and do nothing. I've got to do something. It requires me to follow. I said it earlier. You can't tell me you have faith if you're not taking any action. James 1.22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You can't just listen and see. You've got to do. You've got to be a part of it. You've got to take action. The Greek, in the Greek, there's no difference between believing and doing. See, in America, we think that you can believe and not do. But the Bible does not teach that at all. You cannot believe and not do. It's, you don't have faith. If you're sitting there going, well, you know, I really believe that, that if I do this, you know, um, that this is going to happen. If you don't do it, you really don't believe it. I really believe Jenny Craig Diet's really going to work, and um, you know, and it's going to really help me out. No, if you're not doing it, you don't believe it. Well, I really believe that you know, if if I'm a good person, no, you need Jesus. So you just can't do it either. You have to trust. Believe and doing go together as one. You cannot have one without the other because I'll, he said, I'll show you my faith by my work. 